Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether you know there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, Greg Smith. How are you, Greg? I'm doing pretty well. We're hanging in there. I am hoping that uh, this rain goes away. I feel like we've been in Seattle or London all week. Um, we need sunshine. Well, we've got sun directly over where I am right now. Yeah, it's starting to poke out over here. No, 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 I'm here. <laughs> but we, yeah, it's 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 starting to happen. I, uh, my brother sent me um, this thing the other day. Apparently. It's a thing now for people to make mini chocolate chip cookies and then put them into a cereal bowl with milk and eat them as cereal. Have you seen this? This is like the Gen Z equivalent <laughs> of eating pizza for breakfast. I, like, I have not seen this. That feels. This feels like cavity-inducing uh, sugar crash at 11 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Like, This sounds like a terrible idea. Have you done any any kind of bad breakfast food since we've been home? I mean, everybody's schedule is wrecked. Like, have you eaten anything that you're not supposed to eat for breakfast or lunch? I don't think so. I'm trying to picture. I'm trying to picture if I have. Like, I have. I've had a weird diet lately. So, like, full disclosure, and you know this. I had. A, I split a tooth and had to have emergency, like, a tooth removal. Like, I had to actually go to like the facial surgeon um, or dental surgeon to get this done. Um, the regular dentist couldn't do it. And so, for like all of this week, I've been eating like really bad food because it's, of course, the softest foods. I've had a lot of oatmeal cream pies and ice cream, uh, Jello. So, like, I. I guess that does mean I guess I have because I've had ice cream way earlier this week than I normally would have. But for those first couple of days, that was essentially all I could eat. Um, so, yes, actually, I have. See, this is exactly why I bring this up, because I think for you right now and where you are with with your, I guess, dental well-being, I think it's the <laughs> perfect time for you to try this cookies and cream breakfast concoction. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should. That could be my next step. Like, as it said in the little pamphlet that, like, you can like, start to gradually ease things back in. So maybe that'll be my gradual, my first gradual step. I'm not being serious, Greg. You would have to go right back to the dentist. It feels like <laughs> no, it feels I like can chew it on the cavity. other side. Immediately. Well, I'm going to get one anyway with all of this stuff. Like, someone dropped off yesterday a, like, big brownie, um, uh, red velvet cupcakes, and blueberry muffins. So I feel like I'm on my way to getting a cavity anyway. It feels like whenever uh... – you and you being general, not you specifically, when you start like working out and trying to get on a diet, that's when everybody else is like, here is 18 billion uh, sweets and unhealthy food items that I would like you to consume in the next week. It feels like that's always what happens. 
Absolutely. That's 100% what happens. I'm, I'm trying to avoid it the best I can, uh, but I feel like quarantine in this two situation has, has worn me down and now give me all the junk food. Yeah. Greg, did you listen to the podcast last week? I did not listen to the podcast last week, actually. It, it is okay if you said no. For <laughs> yourself and anyone who is in your shoes, listen to the podcast last week. We talked to uh, Senator Megan Hunt. Aaron Sorensen and I did about um, NLI rights, about her NIL bill that she's trying to push through um, the Nebraska state legislature. Uh, it was about a 45 minute conversation. I let Aaron kind of take the reins with it. She's passionate about it. She's knowledgeable about it. I thought it was cool to have two, um, two really, really knowledgeable people on the subject, just kind of like bouncing ideas off of each other. I thought that was cool. Um, that is that that obviously that was last week so it's been posted on all the all the places that you can get podcasts so listen to that make sure you leave this podcast a review a rating make sure you're listening to jay moore's more to it podcast it's really good it's better than mine make sure you're listening to the radio show make sure you're reading hailvarsity.com because there is still stuff happening even though uh we are well, now currently in what would have been the regular off season but even though nothing is really happening in the sports world um, even though it seems like there's news in the sports world every single day, keep reading hailvarsity.com because the latest bit of news, uh, and Greg, what I would like to start talking about, uh, with you now, Nebraska added another kicker to its roster for this upcoming <laughs> season. So that makes four kicker additions this off season for the Huskers. The latest being a graduate transfer from LSU, Connor Culp. Uh, he had the starting job at LSU in 2017. Uh, he lost that job in 2018 and 2019, but he was a three-star recruit out of high school. He was a U.S. Army All-American. In 2017, he connected on 11 of his 16 field goal attempts. And I think the most important thing is he will enter this room with Division One experience, which is not something that any of the other three guys have. Um, they, they have Chase Contreras from Iowa Western. They have Tyler Crawford. Uh, from Oklahoma, Broken Arrow, and then they have, uh, was it Gabe Hines, I think, local kid. Um, they've got four guys. I thought Chase Contreras was the odds-on favorite, the leader in the clubhouse to win the job. I included him in my my 10 most intriguing Huskers, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but now, adding Culp to the room, it, there's a guy with D1 experience. There's a guy who just... You know, he didn't play, but he was on a team that just won a national championship and went undefeated last year. He's from a, a really good culture. He's from a really good program. Greg, what do you make of this edition of, of Culp, and then what do you make of this room? Yeah, it's interesting. Speaking of reading HillVarsity.com, Big Red Recon just went live when I talked about this a little bit, too, in which I, I make of it that Nebraska – it really, really wanted to focus on overhauling the, the special teams group um, it, that they had on the roster. And I think that that's so it's four kickers and then a, an extra puncher. I think it's like five or even six new specialists in total that they brought on just this offseason. Um, 
And I think that just from conversations I've had, Nebraska thinks that special teams cost them two games last year. Um, they are acting as if they believe that special teams cost them two games last year and that they're they're attacking, I think, kind of the, the part that people can really um, grab onto, which is the punters and the kickers. I think the coverage units, which have also been very suspect over the last couple of years, will also need to be addressed. And I wonder if that will mean I don't know if it means more starters playing on those units. I don't know if it means you're overall athleticism of the team has gone up because you got better recruits through the team um, over the last couple of years. I don't know how you get better there, but that's also going to need to be a thing beyond just improving the punting and kicking portion of it, which is a big piece of it. Um, and we know they had kind of this unprecedented situation last year at kicker, which you don't ever really expect to have happen again. Um, but I, I just think that they've been attacking this very hard um, and they know that they have to do better kind of in the margins um, to be able to win games consistently in this league well so they played in six games last year that ended as one possession game seven points or fewer and they went two and four in those games when when you say they they feel like they lost two games because of special teams now i understand it's not just kicking that we're talking about when we're talking about special teams but like mm. they lost to colorado by three points how much would a a confident kicker or confidence in your kicker have changed the outcome of that game maybe it doesn't maybe it does i don't know yeah. Um, they, they <laughs> damn near almost lost against Northwestern. They won that game 13, 10, uh, thanks to Lane McCallum's leg at the end. But even that kick, it wasn't a very good kick. They lost to Indiana by seven points. They lost to Purdue by four points. You talk about the Wisconsin game. They were kind of rolling. Dedrick Mills was running over people. And then they give up that, that long kickoff return for touchdown. And that kind yeah. of sapped the energy or, or at least, flip the momentum back to Wisconsin. And then obviously the three point loss to Iowa. Like, I mean, you could go up and down the schedule from last year and you could say, well, special teams maybe cost them more than two games. You look at what it did to their, their play calling specifically not having confidence in their kicker, not having trust in their kicker, their play calling. Once they got inside the opponent's 40 yard line was different. They weren't as aggressive. I mean, this was a, yeah, and you've said this before. This was like a, a kicking situation that we might not – I'm not going to say ever, but we might not see again for a really long time The what they had to deal with last year. Yeah, it's definitely something that you don't – I mean, some every once in a while you'll hear about, you know, a team has one injured kicker. Um, but to have to go through that many kickers in a season and, and pulling guys off the street during the season and all of that, like you just don't ever really see that. You hope for Nebraska's sake that they don't have to go through anything like that again. But now they're better positioned if they have an injury or two um, just because they have more guys. But I'm totally with you on the – it could have been more than two games um, that it cost them. But I do think that it's a key point to note that it's not just the – points lost it is also just how you call plays and the faith that you have in being able to run that guy out there um, and even set him up um, to get in position like I think that does play into the back of your mind a lot um, and I don't think that Frost himself would ever actually admit this but I think that that is something that had to wait on his mind as a play caller uh, throughout the season last year did they add too many guys at that spot or is you know they're all they're all walk-on guys so it's not something you worry about you just need one of them to hit uh, I think at punter I, with with Daniel 
Cerny um, from Australia. Like, I think him getting a scholarship basically tells you that they think that he's going to be the guy day one. Um, all of the other guys, the kickers, are all walk-ons. Um, so I just think that it's it's let the best man win, and then we'll kind of figure it out from there. Um, I, I don't know what you, if you're Chase Contreras, I don't know how you feel this morning waking up uh, to this news because you thought you had the inside track to probably be the guy. Um, and then to get a guy with, with legitimate D1 experience coming in and cope um, who may be their best option now, uh, that has to be tough. But you still have an opportunity to try to go out there and win the job. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't make him feel too bad. I mean, if Cope was a guy that they wanted to just hand the job to, they would have they could have given him a scholarship, right? They still have available scholarships, don't they? Uh, one, yeah. They have one. Are you counting one. in Isaac Gifford's blue shirt situation in that? I hopefully oh now I'm losing track. I keep doing the numbers because then I always lose track of it. I don't think I was counting that in, but I had him at one. Um, and I think that they want to bring in a transfer wide receiver with that one. Okay, interesting. There, there are like, I mean, Isaac Gifford is one. Uh, Luke Reimer is another guy. Uh, maybe like Ty Han, but he might be a little bit further down the line. Like they have. They have a couple of or a few walk-on guys who kind of seem like right on the cusp. And maybe like if they have a kicker that grabs the job and runs with it and, you know, makes something absurd, like 18 of 18 field goals this year, like maybe he gets one. Um, But, you know, I don't want to turn this into a walk-on discussion because you know how I feel about the walk-on program. But um, it's it's interesting to me that like because I think I thought Contreras was the guy kind of same as a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that this necessarily changes that. I mean, yes, Culp comes in with Division One experience, but he, he hasn't had a starting role as a kicker in two seasons. Right. And, and it's also and, a situation and, where you have to get, like, the kickoff specialist and field goal thing could still be split. You never know how that goes as well. Yeah, for sure. Because... Was it Tyler Crawford that is the the kickoff guy? Like a lot, like I I'm trying to remember. There was one guy when they committed to Nebraska. A lot of the the discourse around them centered around his kickoff ability. I think it was Crawford. Yeah, that was Tyler Crawford from Oklahoma. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go through and look. Nebraska had six kickers, six guys attempt a field goal last year. I'm gonna have to go through and look. Maybe start at the Power Five ranks. And see how rare that is to have that many guys take a field goal. It's got to be pretty rare. Yeah, I got to imagine there hasn't been many. Like, for example, 2018 Nebraska, Barrett Pickering was the only guy. 2017, Drew Brown was the only guy. Uh, 2016, Spencer Lindsay took one kick, but Drew Brown was the only guy outside of that. Right. It doesn't look like they've had more than two guys take a field goal in the last 10 seasons. And then they had six in 2019. <laughs> it's just, it's absurd. Like, when you think about it, where like, it's just so many guys. Um, it's just such a like crazy, unique set of circumstances for a team that absolutely did not have that type of margin for error. Like it just, it was the worst case scenario for them. Where do you, where do you come in on the discussion around Jonathan Rutledge and his ability to turn around that room? Do you do you think they needed to have a 
an actual coordinator that could do on-field coaching, or do you think Rutledge can do enough in, a, in an analyst role to to change things? Um, I think that he can do enough in an analyst role to change things um, if he's able to. What what'll be interesting is we'll have a real clear way i think that people will judge him um and it really will be whether or not the punters and kickers he's brought in are successful because he's had a hand and bring in a handful of them right at this point and it, it's if they just stop giving up these untimely kickoff returns or punt returns right um so i think that people will be feel like they'll be able to judge him i just i wonder though if if it is enough to just have him as an analyst versus having him in an on-field role, I guess we're going to find out, but it's, it's going to be, I think, um, easier for people to judge that. And it, and it won't be graded on a curve, even if he's not able to do the full allotment of things that an on-field coach would be able to do. I think it'll be pretty cut and dry on people, how people look at this. As you were talking, I was thinking about when you talked about untimely kickoff returns, I was thinking about, they had two or three last year that the other team took a kick or a punt back for a touchdown. I'm like, well, that would have been a kick because it was immediately following a Nebraska touchdown. Right. Wild. Their special teams, you could write a book on how rare their special team season was last year. Yep. It, it was just, and it, that when I'm, it's funny, the Wisconsin one really sticks out to me because I was actually rewatching part of that game yesterday. Um, I found a thing on YouTube and it, that it was just such a backbreaker and, and it feels, and it kind of goes to just something overall that we've talked about, about Nebraska football um, over the last couple of seasons is their inability to really grasp and capitalize on momentum and really keep it rolling. It has just been weird um, over the last couple of seasons. Um, and so, and it and definitely the special team situation plays into it. I mentioned this before. Um, I'm going to talk about it now. Ten most intriguing. I have reached the top five on this series. I've done it three years now in a row. Um, we spaced it out a lot more. I'm only doing one a week this time around. But I've reached the top five. I'm um, I'm curious for the next however long this takes us. What would be who who would be in your top five? Like who are guys that you are most interested in seeing what they are this season maybe not you know this started as like a highest potential player and and it has kind of devolved this year into more of like i don't really know what we're getting from player x or i don't know what to expect from this guy or you know we thought we were getting this we got this what are we going to get now like who 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 would be in your top five for most intriguing most interesting most I have no idea what I'm, what we're going to see. Yeah. I, I think there, there's some really good candidates for this, with, with this Nebraska team, um, which in part speaks to just the intrigue around what, what this team, like what their potential could be, but also what, what their basement <laughs> could be too. Um, but Caleb Tanner is still a guy that I, I'm really, really intrigued by. And I feel like it's, it's a make or break year um, for him in the programs his third year in the program. He came in underweight, but with a lot of promise um, and athletic ability as a freshman, he played as a freshman, even though he was underweight, um, he has not been as productive, obviously as, as people, 
people would hope. And I think that there's a lot of tendency to kind of not forget about him completely, but there's a tendency to go straight to Garrett Nelson and Jojo Doman in this outside linebacker equation and then start to say, oh, that's what I did. Yeah. And then we'll see what we get from Caleb. And then, oh, there's a couple of Juco guys coming in. You know, you got Blaze Gunnerson hanging out down there, true freshman, all of that sort of stuff. And I think that the that forgetting about Caleb who could make a really big jump. And if he makes that jump and becomes the type of player they recruited him to be, would be a huge boon for this defense. Is it forgetting about Caleb Tanner or being ready to move on to the next guy? Not to say that Caleb Tanner's gotten every single opportunity to, to prove and he hasn't produced, but Shenander made a comment at those, those assistant coach roundtables back in early March when you guys met with, when you guys met with them where he said like there comes a point where you know a guy is going to do what he's going to do and if he's not producing it's time to move on and give the next guy the shot like I don't know that they're necessarily at that point with Caleb Tanner but I put Garrett Nelson at number nine on my list and I in talking about Nelson I talked about Jojo Doman as well because I kind of feel like he has that other spot on lock just because of how how many plays he makes when he's on the field I, th- I feel like there might be a point this season if the Caleb Tanner of the last two years is the Caleb Tanner again this year. I feel like there might be a we might reach a point this season where it's like, all right, it's time to give the next guy his chance because it's the light bulb is just not coming on with Tanner, which would stink. That would not be good. It would be a miss uh, on a guy that they were super high on and a guy that a lot of people were super high on. Um, I don't know. I left him off of my list, but. You know, I know you've been high on him since he got here. He's a guy that really fits. I mean, he I mean, he is there what they want at that outside linebacker spot. I don't know. I don't know. It, has it been just opportunity? Has it been um, body? What do you think it's been these first two years and, and really I- last year that's held him back? I think it's, I think it's two things. I think it is at first. I think it was the body development, and he just needed more time and strength and conditioning. You need, and then kind of needed to get acclimated to playing Big Ten football. I think those kind of go hand in hand. Um, but I think last year it was more of a. It all. It sometimes felt like he was playing hesitant out there, and I. And sometimes that can be a guy being hesitant and, and not ready to really turn it loose. But it also can sometimes be not being fully comfortable in the defense. I don't know which one of those it was. Um, but you would like to see him just take a big step, just his overall command of the defense, his overall aggressiveness um, to really trust his athleticism. Because it's not an athlete or an athleticism type of problem with him. He's got all of that and all the physical tools. Um, it's just the ability to actually do that on a down-to-down basis. I I feel like this conversation, and we, we've had this conversation and we'll have this conversation about a number of guys who are uh, like redshirt sophomores or entering junior seasons. It might be a little unfair to them. I was talking with to, with uh, Rick Kaczynski a couple weeks ago, and you know we were talking about development and guys getting into a program. And he was like, the way that they they looked at it was they're gonna add a guy through recruiting. They're gonna sign a guy. He's not gonna be there for them for three years. Once they hit that three year mark, then he's like, okay, now we can start to expect something of this guy. And if you look around the rest of the Big Ten, that's the way it it is at most places. I mean, that's. Yeah. Especially in the trenches, that's the way it is. Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, places like that. Like, you know, where you're not recruiting at an Ohio State level, like guys are going to take a while to develop. 
it's just interesting the situation that we're in with Nebraska and you kind of I mean, we talked about it with the kicking thing. Like the fact that we are focused, we led this off with kicking and everybody is so focused on all these walk-on kickers. Like Nebraska's margin for error is so small and it was so small last year and it was so small the year before. They don't really have the, they're not afforded the luxury of sitting and waiting for Caleb Tanner to, you know, turn into a red shirt junior and then be ready to start like some teams in the nineties were. Um, And I wonder if that's, I don't know. That might be unfair, or it might just be like the the climate that we're in with with college football now. But it it also could be. It, I think it's also position specific. So if you are you in a situation like Nebraska has been, where they are really really hungry for someone to contribute on a consistent basis at outside linebacker, and that has been a huge sore spot um, since they've switched to the three four. You're going to have to throw a Caleb Tanner in there early and see if he can just sink or swim, um, versus maybe having redshirted him that first year, which he probably needed because you just didn't have someone there to be able to hold down that fort. Like if, if Caleb Tanner had gone to Wisconsin, they obviously had a line of guys that were ahead of him that would have played, that would have kept him um, to be able to redshirt and kind of marinate and get in their strength and conditioning. Nebraska didn't have that luxury. So I think that there, there's right. a couple of reasons for that. Uh, my guy, Blaze Gunnarsson, is coming, though. He is. He's coming for that spot. What about what about the rest of your top five? Any interesting names? I think, I feel like we might have some crossover with two or three of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be on the, at this point. Uh, Omar Manning is, is one that I think that everyone would have in this group in the top five-ish range. Um, it, it, because it, if Omar Manning is close to what they think that he is, um, he's going to completely change Nebraska's offense. And I think that the, that there could be a trickle-down effect um, in a big way, um, not just with his production, but what he could open up for other guys, especially if you then have – progression from what I'm assuming is going to be the another guy on our list and Adrian Martinez. Um, Omar Manning is definitely a guy that, that I'm just extremely intrigued to see uh, this coming year. Omar's on my list as well. <laughs> um, um, we have crossover. Yep. There we go. Cam Taylor Britt um, is a guy that it's not, and it's funny. He He's a guy that's up here for me, not because I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's going to be good or is he going to be what they think he is? I think he's going to be good. I just don't know what that's going to look like. Like, I don't know where, like, is he going to be playing outside at corner? Is he going to play more nickel? Um, will he play some safety? Will it be a little bit of everything? Um, whatever it is, I think that he's going to be out there making plays. Um, so I, I'm just I'm super curious to see how, what what happens in his development. But I'm also there's some off field things that I'm looking for for him, like leadership. Like Cam Taylor is a guy that will is a leader on this football team. It feels like he's not been here very long, but this is his junior season. Um, and, and so I'm just really curious to see, like, how he puts kind of his fingerprints on the defense as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 really does feel like he hasn't been here at all. And he's about to play his junior season. I, I think I know who number one is. This is the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. And I did I didn't mention Wandale. He's in there as well. Um, but yeah, number one is, is definitely Adrian Martinez. Like I I, I I struggle I think that Adrian Martinez and what happens with him this year really determines Nebraska's season. Like, you know, you hate to put that on someone, um, but if he's the guy that people thought he was going to be coming off at the freshman year, going into his sophomore year, um, then it, it really raises the ceiling 
for this Nebraska team. And then it, it makes it to where you don't have to get such drastic leaps, I don't think, from the other skill position players that that will be what we've been talking about. And we we kind I think we're in agreement that the offensive line could end up being kind of salty. Um, so that ends up that would end up being a big help as well. But I think that as again, like I guess Frost said at the beginning of last year, as Adrian goes, I think the Huskers will go this season. We don't disagree very often, but I uh, disagree with you. I think the offensive line is what determines their ceiling. Huh. We disagreed. I feel weird. Because I don't – maybe I've – I don't know. Maybe I've talked too much with Mario. But, like, their offensive line last year caused so many issues. And I, and I was actually uh, – just the other day, I was rewatching the Colorado game. And I was watching the first half specifically of the Colorado game and watching what Adrian was doing. And he was so good. He was, he was, that was maybe the best that he looked in a half or in a game of the season, maybe. And put that in, in tandem with what he did as a freshman. And then, in, in, you know, like understanding the context of the situation in that Colorado game specifically, the protection was amazing. Colorado was bringing four guys in the first half. Colorado was bringing four guys and Adrian had a clean pocket to throw in. The snaps were on point. They were able to run the ball the way that they wanted to run the ball. Like I, I feel like the offensive line, it just has to be better. Like everybody's like, oh, all, all five starters are back. I don't, I don't think that um, forecast that just because all five starters are back that we're going to have the same starting lineup this season that we had last season. They have to be better. I think they were, um, like I was reading a, a PFF grading of the 130 offensive line units returning in Nebraska's was 93rd um, because they got like a, a 116th or something crazy like that grade in the run game. They just have to be better. And I think they can be. And if they are, I think the offense can can make that leap because I think Adrian is still the same Adrian. He was hurt last year. I don't he, he's got to improve. And there are areas that he's he's got to get better at. And he's got to show improvement in. But, you know, I kind of have the same thought process with Martinez that I do with Scott Frost and that they didn't become a bad coach or a bad quarterback overnight. All the things that we saw with Adrian in 2017 and with Frost and or Adrian, excuse me, in 2018 and Frost in 2017, I still think all those things are in there. Yeah. And you know, the thing, the thing that well, there's a couple of things that make me really, really encouraged about that offensive line. Um, I, I once again agree with you that it's not necessarily the whole like, oh, they have all five starters back um, because I don't think all five of those guys are going to start. Because, and I actually think that's for the best. I think that Bryce Benhart being ready is best for the long term prognosis of this team. Um, so I think that that is something that gives me confidence. I think that will happen. And I think Greg Austin. Um, I just think so highly of Greg Austin as a coach and a, and a recruiter. And I think that his, the way that he, his demeanor was at that very first round table where he basically came in there and said, we have no excuses. We have the guys, we have experience, we have talent. Like it, what is there to make an excuse about? Um, we have to go and get it done. I think that he was going to, if they had a spring practice uh, session, really imprint that on this offensive line. I like the attitude that Matt Fardyak and Brendan Hymas seem to have come in with um, as well, basically saying the same thing, that it's just time to get it done. Uh, so I, I have I have high hopes for this offensive line. I think they're a talented group. I think that they have some pretty good depth as well. And like I said, I really, really like their coach. Uh, so I do think that they could lead the way. Uh, but I still think that as Adrian goes, the team goes. 
Yeah, that's fine. I mean, the head coach said that, so it's not like that's yeah. some crazy. Yeah, I've crazy stolen that. Yeah, blame Scott Frost if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Let's pivot and talk, close it out with some coronavirus impact talk. Okay. Um, did you get to listen to Frost on Sports Nightly this week? I did. So this the, the conversation that I kind of want to have with you is about their getting ready for the season. So he, he made this comment. Um, you know, they were talking about getting ready for the year, and, and Greg Sharp asked Frost um, what he was hearing in terms of, like, timetable for teams to be able to have a camp. What kind of models? And Frost said that they, they were talking about four-week um, ramp-up activity periods, five-week periods, and six-week periods. And he said that I, he thinks that's possible, but it's not ideal. Uh, and this is a direct quote. There's a lot of work that goes into getting guys physically and mentally ready to play football. As much as we can be doing right now, we're going to try and do so that we're more ready than other people. I think we've been doing a good job with that. So, I, you know, when, as I've talked to Kenny Bell and a handful of other people for my yearbook story, we've also had discussions about like lost spring ball because like Kenny was part of the um, that spring game that was canceled for weather and but they got spring practices in and, and the conversation that I had with Kenny was about the importance of spring ball. And I feel like teams missing out on that this time around is really going to impact their ability to get ready for this season. Cause there's just going to be so much that's going to have to be made up. And if you have a four week or a five week or a six week, you know, it, the, you know, trying to do what we can so that we're more ready than other people comment is um, interesting to me in the sense that Nebraska was not a finished product. Nebraska had a lot of work it had to do both on the field developmentally and then in, in the weight room and not having this time to be able to do that. Like for all of the guys that are away from the team right now, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder how much progress is actually being made or if there's any re- slippage, which I shouldn't, I won't say regression cause that might be a little too strong, but slippage. Um, do you think that if we had, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, um, and we're able to to start bringing people back on like June 1 or we get into, you know, we, we make a plan in June for guys to come back in July and guys to start getting ready and and have a, a somewhat of a normally scheduled fall camp in the beginning of the season. Do you think that that's enough for Nebraska to not experience any setbacks from this? Or do you think that we're just going to they're just going to have to deal with setbacks because they were not a finished product and and this happened and they're just going to have to find a way to overcome that? I think that I think you hit it on the head there. I think that they're going to have to just find a way to get through it because I don't and, and I'm with you. Setbacks maybe or regression might be too strong, but maybe stagnation. Maybe they just stay the same in in some spots, which you also don't want to know because it really is and and so. And talking to like just recruits and players and coaches just through all of this shutdown, um, it's so varied as to what guys have been able to do. So Nebraska, Zach Duvall and the strength staff has given them um, like guidelines and, and workouts and all of that stuff, right, so that everybody needs to go and do, right? But mm-hmm. within that, there's a wide variety of what guys have access to and yep. then what they I guess their level of just 
personal accountability sounds too strong, but you know what I mean? Like just their want to, um, if, if they're on their own, like you wouldn't worry about a guy like Dietrich Mills being somewhere working out. Like if he was just like in a room by himself, right? Like that's not someone mm-hmm. you'd worry about, but there might be yeah. other guys that you might. Um, and so it, that, that is going to be to me, the great unknown. It's like, you're going to need just in general, some type of like at least one week ramp up period where you just kind of see where guys are baseline with their fitness. Right. And then kind of get into kind of shells and stuff like that before you can then get the pads on and really start hitting and getting after it like that. It's just going. And so I'm, and so in that way, I'm with frost that the more time, obviously the better, like a four week period would be really, really tough. Six is still difficult because you're really only probably going to get in a full month of of real good work. Um, But you're just going to have to deal with it because a, everyone is dealing with it. Um, But you're right. in that Nebraska was nowhere near a finished product in, in a number of spots. And if you just start thinking about different position groups, like defensive line, how do you help to sort out the defensive line through all of this? Because that spring was crucial for those guys and how many guys were buying for playing time guys that are really trying to make a big move like a Ty Robinson is it time for him to make the leap um is it time for say a guy like Casey Rogers or Tate Wildeman uh Mosai Newsom like that guy like other guys that are veteran it's just a really difficult situation to go through um but we're gonna have to see how to best handle that and I don't know like a hundred percent what Frost means when he says that we're trying to be more prepared than other people. Um, but I guess we'll find out maybe at some point when we get to talk to it. I don't think they are going to be more prepared than other people. I don't, I, that's like the, to me that, that came off as the, we're having the, you know, the best Monday practice that we've ever had. You know, I was talking <laughs> okay. about the, the other thing that you got to take into account is you, you mentioned access, like comfortability with the access that you have. Like I was talking to Lamar Jackson about him working out for, the NFL draft and the, and the NFL combine and everything that, that went into workouts afterwards. And, you know, like one of the things that we started talking about was, was guys now being able to work out without access to gyms or um, like a place to go to. And some guys, some guys just aren't comfortable like going out and running for some guys. Like it's not a way to stay in shape of just like going out and running three miles or whatever it is. And then coming back and doing some ab crunches. Like some guys need, actual weightlifting equipment and they need they can't just go with free weight some guys need that equipment and need that structure and they don't have that right now for them i think sorry go ahead no no go ahead for them i think you know that's potentially problematic um for nebraska you know you mentioned the defensive line matt lubick is hurt by this too and adrian martinez by extension you know my thoughts on Adrian Martinez are really kind of big picture and that what was there is still there. Not being able to throw to his wide receivers is a problem. (laughs) It's an entirely new room, especially if J.D. Spielman isn't back. It's an entirely new room that he has had zero chances to build chemistry with. They got two days of of spring ball. Like he hasn't he hasn't thrown to any of these guys and will not throw to any of these guys maybe until like four or five, six weeks before the season starts. That's a problem. Yeah, it definitely is. And just talking just 
them building chemistry. Matt Lubick evaluating his room um, is that that's part of a thing. And something I actually I think I talked about this on the, on the radio show yesterday um, when we're talking about one of the kind of hidden effects of, of the shutdown and all of this is that going back to the defensive line, if Nebraska is trying to evaluate how many defensive linemen they need in the 2021 recruiting class, that was probably going to be based on how they felt in a broad sense about the guys that they have on campus, right? They have a lot of them, but if they felt that they needed to add a couple additional ones um, for this class because they needed to backfill a little bit or what have you, they would have found that out through the spring, right? Without having that, how will they figure those sorts of things out? Like there's a lot of like smaller things that are within this um, that are definitely going to be impacted that go way beyond the big picture of getting them ready for games. But I think that obviously that's the biggest thing is that you also have to have injury prevention. You've got to get a whole slew of guys ready with the playbook. At some point you'll get the newcomers in here as well. Um, there, there are just still so many question marks that it's at the point to where the questions keep going up. Like we don't have any answers. Um, I don't feel like from what we had at the beginning of all of this, we just have less time. Yeah. That's a really good way to phrase it. Uh, you know, I, I'm staring at a quote from Prost. I just think there's a lot of questions that still have to be answered. That's what he said on sports nightly. And that was about, you know, getting students back to campus and making sure that, everybody's health and well-being is taken care of and that you're able to bring student athletes back and not risk infection and, and all. But there's like, I mean, that statement can be applied <laughs> across the board everywhere. I mean, there are questions without answers. And like you said, uh, time is starting to become an issue. Um, like, it's one of those things where I feel like everybody has targeted June as the end of the end of May and then into June as like the time where those decisions are going to have to to start being made or questions are going to start needing to be answered. So I, in that sense, we still have time. Um, I am not personally panicked because I think there's too much at stake to not have a football season in whatever way, shape or form that takes. I don't really think that there's going to be fans in the stands. Um, but you know, that's just, that's just me. I, I still think that there's going to be a football season, but um, you know, we had a, a couple of questions in our mailbag this week and you know it was who is advantaged or disadvantaged the most by all this missed time right now or does you know does this shutdown either level the playing field and that you know the the higher the clemsons the alabamas the ohio states of the world now have problems that they have to deal with because they didn't have time to really kind of grease the gears or does it just further widen the gap between the 1% of college football and a team like Nebraska trying to bridge the gap with everybody else? Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I, like it'll I be, go, I um, go back and forth on that actually. Yeah, me too. I do. I do as well. Yeah, because I because on one hand I could see a team like say like Ohio State for example who I, I feel like had to replace their entire secondary again because they all got picked in the first round again. Um, yes, all of those guys were high four star and five star recruits that came in, but they needed time to get acclimated to actually being the guys in that secondary, right? Um, so what happens if they like get off to a slow start during the season because they weren't fully prepared? Like it's it's just I mean that stuff can affect all of the what you think of like the elite teams right now as well. Um, 
But then again, it could affect Nebraska as, as they try and get things established, too. So, like I said, I just kind of go back and forth on all of that. And I think that maybe you could end up seeing some some weird games early in the season. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that I answered the question was like LSU has to LSU has eight returning starters on their team total. They lost what, like 14 people got drafted from that LSU team, including their long snapper. I mean, like, they're going to be hurt by this because they, the context of their situation is they have a lot that they have to figure out. And a team new like coaches, Alabama, too. Yeah, and new coaches, <laughs> yeah. But a team like Alabama, like, I don't see Alabama dropping a game now to South Carolina in conference play because, you know, they missed out on spring ball. Like, that thing is a well-oiled machine, and I don't, you know, they've been replacing people and replacing coaches and bodies for, what, 10 years now with Nick Saban? Like, I don't know that they're just suddenly going to drop two or three games uncharacteristically because of all of this. But then you look at Nebraska. Nebraska has had a lot of, of questions itself that it needed to answer, and it needed spring ball to be able to, an- to start to answer some of those or piece together a roadmap to get to an answer for some of those questions. And they didn't have it. So uh, context is going to be important. Team situation is going to be important. And unfortunately, I think Nebraska is on the wrong side of that. Um, so, but it'll be interesting. We've, uh, like you said, we've, we've still got time to figure out kind of what that uh, schedule is going to look back or what that return to, to football schedule is going to look look like. So um, it'll be a, an interesting I think an interesting next couple of weeks as we start to get some some answers, because like you saw, like the Cal State University system already announced in mid-May that they're not going to have students on on campus in the fall. Did you see that? I did see that, which is to me, it's it's super interesting. Um, Just looking at from the university side is that I would be fascinated to see the immediate impact on their enrollment. Um, Because I know that that's one of the reasons why schools are hesitant to go there, especially at at this early stage and say that we won't have um, on-campus instruction. Because, I mean, naturally, think about it. Kids don't want to pay the same price that they were going to pay to be there to then just do online. That's not what they signed up for, even though online learning has become like increasing in popularity. Um, So there are all sorts of other issues that come along with doing that as well that kind of go beyond football, but are also still related to football because you've noticed that a lot of commissioners, um, the navies have now backed off of the whole like, oh, we would need to have kids on campus. Our students would need to be on campus for us to have athletics. Like they started to really back off of that because they've no- they've noticed that at least some schools in each conference will probably be doing online only. Um, so you want to be able to leave yourself the option to still have athletics. Yeah. What's funny is the same day that that CSU announced what they announced uh, what was it the Arizona governor said that pro sports were going to be allowed to resume in Arizona. Yeah. Everybody's just going to move their team to Arizona. In uh, Florida. Florida said, we're uh, welcome. You're welcome to come on down and play here if you want. Yeah, of course Florida did. Yeah, of course they did. Florida has been dealing with every disease known to man since, you know, beaches opened. <laughs> right. So, Greg, I'm sure you've got work to do. Thank you for joining the podcast. I appreciate you having me. Enjoy your Friday. What do you got? What do you got coming up soon? 
Uh, that's a good question. Um, actually, no, Greg's guys is coming up next week. Uh, so it'll be a, a big week for me uh, with that because we'll have a lot of shakeup as, as, you know, three or four of them committed to other schools. Um, so that'll be fun times kind of sussing out the board and figuring out what's going on there. Sound the alarms. Recruiting is falling apart. <laughs> I did not Make say sure. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is going to be interesting, though. Yeah. We'll keep an eye out next week, everybody, for Greg's guys. Uh, keep reading Hill Varsity, like I said, off the top. Uh, we appreciate your your continued support right now. It means a lot. Um, so we'll be back next week with another podcast. Thanks, everyone.